So uh, we've been looking this fall at uh, Jesus's parables, uh, the stories he told to um, uh, kind of direct us to uh, the truth of the gospel of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. Um, and uh, today we're going to look at a parable that uh, is about a banquet that happens at a banquet. Um, and I chose this one for this particular date because we are less than a month away from Thanksgiving, and which means we're only a few more weeks away from Christmas, right? So we're in the season of feasting and dinners. Now, uh, recently, one of the things I've noticed that uh, uh, the people who talk about these things have uh, done a lot of work and provided guides for people about what you're supposed to talk about at dinner, at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and what you're not supposed to talk about, right? Because uh, it, it, you know, we, we, we have this view, like kind of a Norman Rockwell painting of what, you know, the dinner is supposed to be like, when actually for many of us, when we gather with our families for dinner uh, at the holidays, it's more exciting than that. And so uh, a few years ago, uh, a few years ago, my... Uh, a member of my family came to me and said, before Thanksgiving lunch, you need to talk to your dad. And about what? Well, you, you know, he, he's always bringing up these controversial topics, and we talk about them, and it's always offensive. And I said, well, first of all, it's at his table. And if he wants to talk about this, you know, as long as he's not profane or anything like that, which he's not, then, you know, we, I think we should let him talk about that. Secondly, he's 85 years old. And I don't think we're going to talk him out of his opinions. He's, he's come at these opinions over a long period of time, and this is what he thinks. And uh, I, I would suggest that you uh, find food that uh, you can chew that make a lot of noise so you can block out when, when he starts talking because I just don't see how we're, we're going to get around this. So we have Thanksgiving dinner. Everything's hunky-dory. Everything's fine. It's going the way it always does, and so the issues of the day come up. My dad begins giving his opinion about it. A member at the table says, um, you know, this is terrible. I can't believe we're talking about this. Don't you know you're never supposed to bring up religion or politics in polite company? And to which my dad responded, well, well what else is there to talk about? <laughs> It was a great dinner. It was one of the one of the ones that uh, I have uh, great memories of. So, uh, the 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 dinner that we're going to look at today is um, would not make it into a Martha Stewart guide of how to talk at dinner. Jesus uh, is invited to dinner, and everything he does from the from the time he approaches the house to the dinner until the dinner itself, he does something to make somebody angry and uncomfortable. So let's take a, a minute before we read the parable today to kind of get at, uh, at where we are. So this parable begins uh, at the beginning of chapter 14 with the statement, one, one Sabbath day Jesus is passing through a village and he gets invited to a dinner at the house of a Pharisee. Not uncommon for traveling rabbis to be invited, religious you know, uh, luminaries to be invited to someone's house to get checked out. And so, so Jesus is invited to this Pharisee's house. On his way to the house, outside of the house, there's a sick man laying there who's there to beg for the people who are coming to the dinner, uh, and Jesus heals him. 
Now, this should begin to call forth in your mind something about Jesus. Isn't there a parable that Jesus told about a rich man throwing a banquet and a poor man outside of his gate uh, who was not allowed into the banquet that needed healing? Does that ever, remember we talked about that a few, a few weeks ago, right? The rich man and Lazarus. Well, on this occasion, as Jesus approaches the Pharisee's house, he sees the sick man there and he heals him, which is awesome, right? I mean, would that all of your dinners would start with somebody getting healed. Except that Jesus heals the man and he looks at the Pharisees and he says, hey, Pharisees, what I just did here, is it lawful? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And Luke tells us that they were quiet, which tells us all we needed to know. So he goes into the house and he takes his place at the table. Now again, you know, Jesus has, is an equal opportunity offender. And so he, he looks around at everybody that's coming in to eat dinner. And he notices how they choose their seats for the places of honor. He knows exactly what they're doing. And so he looks at everybody as they're seated at the table. And he says, hey, you know, uh, when you get invited to a dinner... Uh, don't seek out the places uh, uh, of uh, honor. Wouldn't it be better if you sat in a lowly place and the host said, hey, come up here and sit next to me? Now, just imagine you, you, know, you came in and you scrapped to get your seat. None of us have ever done that before. You know, let's sit with the cool people. I don't want to sit with the uncool people. Okay. And then somebody says, you only came in here to sit with the cool people. Enjoy your hummus. Right? So, um, yeah. So, so we're off and running here. You know, at dinner, this is, this is really good. Everybody's having a great time. And then it says, Jesus looked at the guy who invited him. And it says directly, right before we get to the parable, he said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet. <laughs> now, isn't that awesome, right? So somebody's at your house for dinner, and they're about to tell you, not only have they told you about how everybody's sitting at the wrong place, but now he's about to tell you something else. You're the host, he's eating your food, and Jesus is about to tell you what he thinks. So he says, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors... As he looks around the table, right? Lest they also invite you in return. Invite the poor, crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, Jesus isn't saying you can't have dinner with your friends and family. But what he is saying is you're blind what he is saying is we are unaware. And what he is saying that down deep in our heart of hearts, there is a thing called reciprocity, right? Often we do our religious duty for others uh, with the expectation of some payback. We, we expect, well, we've, we've signaled our virtue in a, in a sense by doing something. And so we expect either to get respect for that or accolades for that or or something for that. Uh, 
it's I, I it, it used to happen more often uh, than it does, but there was there was a time in the life of this church where people would come to me and say, "Your church is lame." And the reason it's lame is I've invited X number of people to my house over the last year uh, to eat dinner. They all came, and none of them have invited me back to their house. <laughs> yeah. So no one's laughing, so I've made my point. So the, so the fact is, you know, Jesus is already off and running here with, the, with these people from the moment that he walked up to the door and now that he's in the dinner, these things have been pretty offensive, right? And so what we see here is uh, a man at his worst, me and you at our worst, are, are, are being religious and using our religion to protect ourselves from the inconvenience and disturbance of needy strangers. Yeah, needy strangers. There was a needy stranger outside the door of the dinner. He was not invited. And he was not invited because he was needy, probably smelly, probably ignorant, probably didn't agree with the people who were in the dinner. But he was needy. (sighs) Yeah. So just leave that out there. So the context for this parable is already awkward and antagonistic. Right? Um, yeah. Uh, my daughter and I uh, watched a Netflix show last night, and it was not that great, but the music and the way things were going was making us nervous. And we were both like, I don't know what it is about this, but this is causing me a lot of anxiety. And so that's what's happening here. I don't know what it is about Jesus, but he's causing me some anxiety. So, into this context, he tells. This parable. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, that, this person's a lot like many of you. Because you're like, okay, we're in here with dinner. We thought this was going to be a good thing. I will change the subject and I will bring something up that we can all agree on. Wouldn't it be great to eat bread in the kingdom of God? Right? Who can argue with that? Right? Woo, let's make some peace where there is no peace. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house shall be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So here we are, you know, the the subject's been changed and Jesus goes on this riff of this parable to to kind of illustrate uh, the problem that he sees that's going on there 
uh, among uh, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees who were there eating dinner with them. So uh, let's look at the parable. Now, one of the things that we're, I want to do this morning as we, as we look at the parable, we're going to look at the excuses given by the three people who said they can't come, and, and we're going to look at them one way. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then we're going to look at them honestly. Okay? Um, so one of the things that you, you notice, this man invites people to dinner, and what we read here is that when all is ready, he tells the people to come. Now, this is not the way we do dinner, right? So the way you, t- the way you if you read your culture into this, you miss what's going on. What, what, what's, what this is like is not you invite people to dinner, they look on their calendar and say, oh, you know what, I can't come. This is you invite people to dinner, they come to your house, they're standing in your living room, you have all the food, you prepared the food because you thought they were going to come. They look at you and say, I can't come. I need to go. Okay? So this is, this is the, the food's been bought, it's been prepared, and you come in and you say, oh, I can't do it. Right? So you can begin to get a sense of why the, the, the host is is not happy about this, right? This is, this is beginning to, to disturb him. But all of these guys have excuses. So let's, let's give them uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt, right? Uh, one says he bought a field and he knows that he needs to go look at it. Now, you know, Jesus loves fields, right? His very first parable, the linchpin parable of the whole Bible is, is about a field, right? The sower went forth to sow. So Jesus is pro-agriculture, uh, he's, he's pro buying fields. He thinks that's a good thing, right? There's, an, there's nothing wrong with that. So, so this, this, this person says, you know, I bought a field. I, I need to go take care of that. The next guy says, well, I bought this set of oxen. And, you know, oxen, you've you got to check them out because you've got to make sure they're strong enough to pull the carts. But you also got to make sure that they can work together and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, Jesus, again, he loves agriculture. He loves industry. So... Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. The next one is, I've married a wife. Hey, we are pro-marriage. We are pro-family. That takes over everything, right? So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, if we give them the benefit of the doubt and think these are legitimate excuses, even at that, we have to say that there's a confusion of identity here. There's a confusion of who I really am and what my, where I really fit uh, in this world. Um, I, I, and I, I found this quote from Eugene Peterson. He died this week, and so I was looking this week as I was preparing for uh, just an excuse to use something uh, that he wrote. And he said this, and I, and I also picked this quote because, uh, frankly, what he says in the first sentence uh, is probably the most devastating thing you can say about people in America today. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. (laughs) Now, you, you know, I, when I read that this week, I felt like such a failure and particularly in my uh, the way I look at my job and the way I raise my kids. 
Because don't we want to understand ourselves and then pursue what we understand about ourselves? And there's some value to that, certainly. But as Peterson says, you know, there's something previous to what I think about myself, and it's what God thinks of me. The fact that he's created you, the fact that he's redeemed you, the fact that he invites you to his party, that our identity is rooted in that, not in our ability to buy fields or oxen or create good marriages. As good and as valuable as those things are, uh, my identity is rooted first and foremost in who God says I am, who God says the rich person is, who God says the poor person is, the lame person, the blind person, the sick person, right? That means everything I think and feel is by nature a response And the one to whom I respond is God. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. Right? So if we give them the benefit of the doubt, at the very least, what's going on here is they are sinning in the sense that they've set their identity in something uh, other than uh, who God says they are. But let's, you know, there's no fun in giving people the benefit of the doubt. So let's, let's be critical. You know, let's let's uh, let's get at them, because really what's going on here is something else. There's there's a word that we've used a lot in our culture in the last two years, the word collusion. You heard that word before? I hope you have. It's a big word. We use it a lot. Well, it's not a big word. Collusion, three three syllables, but it's a word we use a lot. Well, if you read the text, it doesn't come through as clear in English as it should. But what these three guys say is. Um, but they all alike began to make excuses. They've talked to one another and they've said, you know what, I'm not going to the lame banquet. And I'm going to come up with an excuse, right? Uh, And so the first one says, right, uh, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Now, I know some of you are fabulously wealthy and you buy things, you buy real estate all the time and other places that you've never looked at. And that's fine. Actually, I, I, I know very few of you that, that do that. But the truth of the matter, <laughs> I know you were thinking, I know you were sitting there wondering, who is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, let's sit at this table and look around and think, yeah, who's he talking about? Anyway, uh, so, the, so, the, so the fact is, um, you certainly, you, you might buy a house somewhere to rent it just because you saw it and rent it out to people just because you saw it online. But if you're a farmer, you're never going to buy a field without looking at it first. So he's lying. Same thing with a, with a set of oxen, right? Who, who goes, and although I guess the big thing now is you can buy cars online without ever actually seeing the car, right? There's a whole service about that. That seems really dumb to me. And if, if, you've, if you've done that, blessings on you, man, because you are taking a risk. You must believe there's a God because I, I would never, I wouldn't, I don't, you know, not that I could test drive the oxen and make sure they're going to be good ones, but I would think you would test drive the oxen first, right? And then the last one, you know, I'm married and, you know, uh, how how many times have we used our marriages as excuses? Yeah. Uh, we're pro-marriage. We think it's a good thing. But uh, 
Uh, in this case, actually, if you were to dig a little further into this, you'd see that it's a very crass insult to the, uh, to the host. So the, that's why you see when you read this, that's why the host becomes angry. Because not only has his, his uh, dinner been prepared and he's gone to all the expense and the trouble, but he's actually being lied to about uh, uh, the, 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 the excuses for people not to come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. Now this servant is a great servant because he says, Look, we already did that because I could see which way this thing was going. And so we went out and got people. But there's still room. And the master said, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is why in the world, because at first glance you may think, why in the world would it be necessary to throw a rich party with great food uh, in this village and need now to go out and compel people to grab them by the arm and say, you must come to the banquet? Now think about that for a second, because we think, well, we, we'd love to come to the banquet, right? Because we want the seat of honor. But if you are so poor, so broken, so blind, so lame, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, come now with me to the best party of the year, you're going to need to be compelled because you've never been invited, you've never been welcomed, there's never been a place at the table for you. You are stunned by the generosity of the offer. You can't believe it. It's too good to be true. These people that he is going to, to, out to get are the people that never have a place. They're the kind of people that you and I don't even see, and when we see them, we turn away because they make us uncomfortable. They're blind. They're lame. They're sick. They're uneducated. Uh, they're the kind of people that make us uncomfortable, right? You see, they're stunned because they've never been invited to anything because just as Jesus said earlier in the, the chapter, these are the kind of people, because they're poor and lame and blind, they cannot pay you back. Wow, does that sound like the gospel? Does that sound like grace? Right? The, the kind of people that are responding... That, that are being compelled to come into and take their places at the table are precisely the kind of people who think, well, I don't have anything to offer. Why in the world would you put a place at the table for me? I am blind, lame, broken, poor, ignorant. Right? Jesus invites the people, and the people who receive the invitation are the people who know, I'll come to the table I can only come to the table because you made a way for me to come to the table. I can never pay you back. Those are the best kind of people that Jesus wants at his party. Perhaps you are missing the joy of your salvation this morning because A, you think you deserved an invitation to the party, or B, 
now that you're at the party, you're working really hard to deserve the, uh, getting the invitation to the party. And that's why you're not stunned at the invitation to the party. That's why you're not elated at the invitation to the party. So Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, will you receive the invitation to the party that I'm throwing? Right? See, the Pharisees are rejecting the invitation. They, they, they don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They don't see him as the one who makes the atoning sacrifice that we all need. They, they think that they can get a place at the table because of their uh, theological beliefs, because of their race, because of, of their status in the community, all of those sorts of things. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you only get a place at the table because uh, the host invites you. And he, he compels you to come out of his goodness, grace, and mercy. Because remember, in just another chapter, Jesus is going to talk about a great party where a, a, a son who wakes up one day in a pigsty comes to himself and comes home and they throw a party. And the good son, the son who comes to church every Sunday, the son who does what he's supposed to do, rejects the invitation to come in to the party. Now, maybe maybe we... Uh, we think it's a little harsh to say to reject the invitation. But if the only way I can receive the invitation is simply receive the invitation that the host died to bring to me, then that begins to reorient and change the way I think about myself and I think about my place at his table. The great news in this parable is there are no empty seats at Jesus' table. He fills them all. He fills every single one of them. And he will do that. Um, and that is, uh, that, is, that is great news for us to, to kind of uh, uh, to assure ourselves that, that the invitation is powerful and it's compelling. And when the poor and the blind and the lame and the sick hear it, they are compelled to hear it and respond to it and come to the table. And my friends, the smartest, most talented, most gifted, richest, most competent among you does not even qualify spiritually to stand before the host and say, you must invite me because it wouldn't be a party without me. You must invite me because I've earned an invitation. Praise God. The invitation is by grace and mercy only. One last thing uh, I want you to think about today. Uh, it is the holiday season. Coming up on it. I know that's scary and frantic and all of that sort of stuff. Um, who are you going to invite? What are you going to do? Do you even know anybody who's blind or lame or sick or poor? Do you even see them? 
Isn't it funny that Jesus walks into this dinner and the first person he sees and the first person he addresses is the sick man laying outside. Now, if I'm throwing a party and there's a sick man laying outside my house, I have to honestly say that, that you know, especially before I heard the sermon, I, I, would, uh, I would view them as, as a problem. Uh, might make my guests uncomfortable, right? Um, the last day I was at uh, my dad's house, I've told this story before, um, so bear with me. Um, cleaning some stuff out of it. There was a knock at the door, and there was a guy at the door who I'd seen in town before uh, when I would walk with my dad, and he would be riding his bike around town. And I knew that my dad let him pick stuff out of his garden because this guy obviously, the thing that I remember was he stood there at the door because uh, this was the first time I'd ever gotten this close to him was he had three teeth. Now, when you only have three teeth, it seems like they stand out more than when you have a full mouth of teeth. But when you only have three teeth, and they're a remarkable color, uh, <laughs> that I'm like, how did you get your teeth that color? You know, uh, that, that is remarkable. But he's standing there at the door, and he said, hey, there's an old guy who used to live here who would let me pick stuff from his garden. Are there collards in the garden that I could pick? And I, I said to him, you know, like, hey, yeah, you know, the, the old guy who lived here was my dad. He's dead. Uh, but there are some collards back in the backyard, and you're welcome to go back there and pick them. So that got me thinking. Um, you know, my dad was super conservative, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy. Uh, his dad never went to school, grew up in a house with a dirt floor, my dad did, um, and uh, he believed in capitalism. Uh, but I wonder, when you die, is somebody going to come to your house and when your kids are cleaning it out and say, you know, there was an old guy who lived here who was merciful and kind because Jesus had been merciful and kind to him. Will they say that about you? Will, will, that, will that happen to me and to you? Um, the only way I know that that happens is you have to get close enough to a guy with three teeth to know he needs some vegetables out of your garden. We're going to come to the table now that Jesus has set for us and that he's invited us to come to. Um, and I, I want to tell you today that Jesus uh, gives us this table for the purpose of remembering what it cost him to make a place at the table for us. But not only that, to reassure us, to reassure us that because of who he is, he's made a place at this table for us.
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. Here's the invitation. If it strikes you as stunning today that you have an invitation that you have a way, that you have a place at the table, that he sees you, and he sees you not because of your accomplishments, but precisely because you are sick and lame and frail and broken. And he says to you, I heal you, and I bring you in and I put you at my table forever and ever. That's what we celebrate when we come to this table. Jesus Christ died your death, lived a life you could never live, died the death that you deserve, rose again so that you have a place at his table. And because you have a place at his table, it changes the way you look at yourself and it changes the way you look at your brothers and sisters. You're all blind. You're all lame. You're all broken. And you're all sick. And if that offends you, maybe you don't have a place at the table. Because this table is for the people that he has compelled to come. As a blind, sick, lame beggar constantly failing, Jesus has made a place at this table. If you see that about yourself and you know that, even if you tend to forget it, and even if there are times where you resist that invitation, but you've come to grips with that and know that that's the only way you get a place at the table and that... um, Praise God, he's made that for you. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He says to you again today, hey, come forward, take the bread, take the cup, because these are testimonies to you and testifiers to you to reassure you that Jesus really lived, Jesus really died, Jesus really rose again, and Jesus is really coming to bring you to his party. Be reassured that the goodness and the strength and the reality of this invitation. As the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that uh, 
The outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. And all the bread is bread that is gluten-free. 